Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. Jesus, you're the only one worthy of our complete trust, our adoration. Good morning. I uh, have a challenge from the Lord. It's one that came to me, and it's come back again. And uh, the scripture says to uh, love the Lord your God with all your spirit, soul, mind, and strength. And the word all kind of sticks out, and it says in all-encompassing, where's your strength? How strong are you at this point? And what kind of strength are we to achieve? What are we to actually walk in? to give the Lord all our strength. And the Lord was challenging me to, uh, this year, make a point in my life to become a very strong love. Amen to what Jerry said. We accept the challenge. One way we can love the Lord is to love one another well. I'd like to invite all of you to meet Wednesday night at 5 at Guadalajara on Lincoln Way. And we're going to love on John and Debbie because they're moving away. And after we eat, we'll come to the upper room together. And we'll worship and pray. I'm so excited about John and Debbie's future. We just want to bless you and love on you. Took a long time to get Joy to lead worship. It was worth the wait. Hmm. So what if I start by killing a sacred cow? After reading uh, John 15 through 17 this week, uh, what if you don't have your own relationship with God. Instead, you've entered into Christ's relationship with the Father by coming into Christ. That is the truth. Uh, we we don't have our own individual relationship with God. You read John 15 through 17. We've entered into Christ's relationship with the Father by entering into his death, 
and his resurrection. And how, how do we enter into the crucified life? By faith. <laughs> Reckoning ourselves to be dead and entering into the life of another. That is what the world needs. And uh, <clears throat> last week I talked about how in Christ, and that is the right way of saying it, in Christ we have a new past, a new present, and a new potential future. Our, our old future yeah. still pulls on us. But there is a new future in Christ that, that is for us. And uh, I, I've, what I'm going to, I think I'm going to talk about today is something that I have thought about for a long time. I, I had a conversation with Errol about this a number of years ago. Uh, I heard a message one time by John Paul Jackson on this. And it, it has to do with the prophetic symbolism of the ten nations that had to be driven out of the promised land. And how they represent ten strongholds of the old man that must be overcome and in, in the context that we're speaking to enter into our new future. Because until those enemies are demolished and defeated and put under our feet, they, they will pull us or attempt to pull us back into our old future. Yeah. So I, I want to begin uh, identifying sort of the context, and, and we, we understand uh, that the Lord promised Abraham a land. And, and he was... In order to give Abraham that land, Abraham had to become a nation in order to possess that land and dispossess the inhabitants of, of that land. Uh, and that was symbolic for us of the earth because that's the promise for the new covenant people of God. We, just, we don't just get a piece of real estate in the Middle East as our own promised land. We get the whole earth. To, to take a thousand years and prepare for it to be given to the Father. And so <clears throat> God promised this 
piece of real estate to Abraham, and, and he even gave him a great deal of detail that, you know, his descendants were going to go into a foreign land and they were going to be slaves there for 400 years, but, but don't worry, I, I will deliver them, I'll take them out, and then they're going to take this land. So that's Genesis 15, 7 through 21. I actually had a PowerPoint today and I completely forgot it. So hopefully you're getting into the habit of bringing your Bibles anyway by now. So Genesis 15. And the Lord said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And, you know, it, it's it's... It's always interesting, troubling, and encouraging all at the same time. The way the Lord who is outside of time speaks to us who are in time. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I don't know what that was. Um, <clears throat> because he, he's the Lord obviously knows the end from the beginning and the future perfectly. So he says, I'm giving you this land to possess. But Abraham said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I will possess it? And the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him, so that he wouldn't uh, see the Lord. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Ten nations. And sometimes we only see a list of seven nations. Uh, it's kind of... Uh, I'm, I'm going to read Deuteronomy 7, 1 and 2 also to put this in context. 
when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mighty than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. See, it's God's intention for us that, that we completely rid ourselves of the ways of the kingdom of this world. He wants us to make no agreement with the forces of darkness. He, he wants them to have no ground in us. And, and I'm reminded of, of Jesus when he was speaking to his disciples and he said that the prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. Uh, and it's, it's as if, and, and, and this is the truth, for Jesus to be saying that, that the enemy has no power over me, against me, because he has nothing in me. I, I am in agreement with him about nothing. <laughs> so he, he can come, he can kill me, this is all part of the plan. Uh, I, I will overcome him and death, is what the Lord was saying. And this, this is his intention for us who are in Christ is that, that we would be able to even say that. That the, the prince of this world has nothing in me. And, and so the way the Lord can deliver us from these ten strongholds uh, is instructive to us about all strongholds. But I, I think really if, if, if I were to really dig into the, the root of all the strongholds that would hold us back, they're probably all represented in these ten. And, and the interesting thing about why there sometimes is a list of ten and sometimes there's a list of seven nations it's kind of implied in that Deuteronomy passage that there, there were three nations that they could probably handle on their own, even without the Lord's help and intervention. But there were seven that there was no way <laughs> that, that they could uh, possibly handle without the Lord's help and intervention. And, and those are the seven that were listed in that Deuteronomy passage. So, Ephesians 4.27 instructs us to do not give the devil a foothold or do not give him opportunity. Some translations, the, the Greek word foothold there is topos. Don't give him any ground. In, in your life. And then uh, 1 Corinthians 
Do you not know that your temple, your body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? So the Lord would have our temples be cleansed from, from all of this stuff, from all of the, the ways of thinking, the, way, the ways of acting that are rooted in the kingdom of this world and, and not his kingdom. And, and we, have to, we have to understand our lives really in that context. That, that this is what the Lord wants. There's, there's a life and a future in Christ that he has for us that, that we just are not going to be able to enter fully and effectively as, as long as we still have some of this stuff in us. So in, in the same way that the Lord was instructing Joshua and the children of Israel to make no covenant with these nations, show them no mercy, utterly destroy them, that, that is to be our attitude with the forces of darkness. Because what, what the Lord is, is after, his, his eternal desire for us as human beings is that we would represent him on the earth. And, and we know that Christ perfectly represented the Father on the earth so that he could say to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Don't, don't ask me to show you the Father. What do you think you've been looking at for the last three and a half years? And, and that is the, the desire, the heart of the Father today is, is that a people would come forth and, and I'm telling you, as we approach the day of the Lord, a people are going to come forth who, who represent the Father on the earth, and and that that people are are going to look at those people, and and shake their heads because they they don't they don't know what to think. It, it's like we're aliens, <laughs> because really we are. As as darkness covers the earth and deep darkness, the people and a people who represent the Father arise on the earth there is going to be a distinction. <laughs> so, understanding our lives in, in the context of, of this work of God, that, that he is taking us somewhere. He, he's taking us into this crucified life. He's, he's taking us into the life of another, and that other is Jesus, so he, he uses conflict and disruption to show us the places in, in our life that have died, but we haven't yet agreed with their death. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the reality, because these, these things... Uh, rooted in in self protection self 
self-promotion, self-whatever, as, as we'll get into them, they, they have to go. In, in order for the life of another to be displayed in us. And, and that is the Lord's desire. So, conflict and disruption are good. They, because they lead to progress. Uh, comfort and ease, not good. No progress. <laughs> As if, if the old man is still hanging around and he's comfortable, then, then we got problems. If we're in the midst of uh, disruption and conflict and, and we're staring that old man in the face, then we can make some progress because we, we can get rid of him. So that, that is the context that I, I want us to hear this message in. Okay? <laughs> and I don't know how far I'll get. I, it, it would be amazing if I get more than halfway through, I think. So we start out with uh, the three that, that we may actually have the strength to conquer. And I'm, I'm not entirely sure that that parallel follows this application, but anyway, uh, John Paul Jackson thought so. Uh, <clears throat> so the, the first tribe of the ten were, were the Kenites. And they were a large group of nomadic clans engaged chiefly in metalworking. Uh, the root kin has the same meaning uh, in the Semitic languages uh, as tinsmith or craftsman, and in, in Aramaic, uh, metalsmith. So... What do they represent? They represent a fabricator. Well, that can be a fabricator of metal or a fabricator of lies. Lies and false accusations sent against us so that we will become self-defensive and too focused on our own issues. Self-protection distracts us so that we do not see God's big picture. Now how, when, when people come against us, what, what do we do? I mean, our, our, our natural, and, and, and here it is, natural. See, we're trying to get away from the natural man, <laughs> the flesh. 
into the spirit man, which is Christ in us. Naturally, when someone comes against us, we want to defend ourselves. And, you know, I, I began to learn this lesson, uh, trying to think of how many years I've been ordained now, because it was right about that time. I was about, I think, 97 or 98. I, I really, I, I was in school. And it's always worst when the coming against you happens in the church and, and you're a leader, because that just shouldn't happen. Uh, and and when you're when you're not guilty, and and people are are saying things about you that that aren't true. So what 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 do you do? Well, what did Jesus do? If we if we enter into his life, he he never defended himself. And, and here is some truth. If, if you're guilty, you have no defense. And if you're not guilty, you need no defense. Because God is, is the judge who, whom ultimately we are concerned about standing before. So to... To not make any covenant, not make any agreement with the Kenites, <laughs> uh, to show them no mercy <laughs> and bring them to utter destruction, uh, we, we put on the Teflon of Jesus. <laughs> And just let it slide off. So where where are you in school? Is it work? Is it something else? Uh, again, the the Lord is is doing us a favor when He exposes this stuff, because <laughs> then we can. We can deal with it. So the, the truth is uh, that we are to let God be our defender. And, and when we overcome this and we let him be our defense, he will release new power and authority into our lives. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? That was Psalm 27.1. And Psalm 28.8 the Lord is their strength, 
And he is a saving defense to his anointed. Uh, I I just feel like we're we're supposed to deal with this stuff as we go. So uh, I I just want to invite us. Uh, I will even I'll lead us in in a prayer, and and you can you can pray it with me because uh, I I want to see us set free of of this, and and the Lord wants to see us set free. So uh, I'll give you time to repeat it after me if if you want to. Um, <clears throat> Lord, I confess that I have sought to be my own defender. When people have come against me, rightly or wrongly, uh, I have sought to defend myself. Forgive me for agreeing with this spirit of self-protection. I, I break agreement and break covenant with it. I remove the ground the enemy had in my life because of it. And I receive your truth and your freedom. Thank you in Jesus' name. Hmm. I'm, you know, in, in relation to that one, I'm, I'm just, I'm reminded of uh, that prophetic word that Diana Horak had for you. It's so appropriate. Uh, she saw Luke playing basketball, which he doesn't even really do uh, very much. But he was playing, like, amazing. But he was just by himself, and and there wasn't anybody even watching. But the Lord was watching. So the good that we do, that we're not recognized for, it's not unrecognized. It is not unrecognized. <laughs> yeah. And the false accusations that, that come, uh, the Lord can defend us from those. And uh, I remember hearing someone say how, how sweet it is when you have not defended yourself and the, the one who is speaking lies 
the Lord brings them back to ask for your forgiveness. And yeah, that's that's pretty sweet. So next is the Kenizzites. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, I just, <laughs> I have to bring up the Gibeonites. They're not on this list. But you remember the story about them. Uh, children of Israel came into the promised land. They miraculously destroyed Jericho. They they went to the, the little town of Ai and got their behinds kicked because they were in disobedience. And and then they destroyed Ai and and the Gibeonites, they they knew they they lived nearby and they knew man we're our goose is cooked. God is with these people. We're <laughs> We're done. So they came up with this great idea, which is a pretty good idea. Uh, worked well for them. Uh, to come and, and wear all their worn-out clothing and, and bring food that looked like they'd been traveling for at least weeks, maybe months, and, and come and tell Joshua and, and the leaders, hey, we're from this far, far away country. <laughs> <laughs> and we we've heard how God is with you and we want to make covenant with you that that we won't destroy you or hurt you you won't harm us and uh and they went ahead and they they entered into covenant when the Lord said you shall make no covenant with them and show them no mercy but they made covenant so they were bound by it and so Right after they made the covenant, then they find out the truth. And, you know, in our legal system, it, it would be a little different because uh, that would be fraud. And uh, we have lots of ways to get out of contracts here because contracts are different than covenant. Covenant is about honor. And Middle East is an honor-shame culture. We're, we're nothing like that. We know very little about honor or shame anymore. Uh, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, the Gibeonites, are, so they're still around during the time of David and Solomon, but they are servants of, of Israel. We, we need to not allow familiar spirits <laughs> to remain. Uh, we need to have no covenants with with the enemy, no agreement with the enemy. When when the Lord exposes those agreements, we we just need to break them and get ourselves free. Okay, so the Kenizzites. Uh, <clears throat> this is a tribe that's referred to in the covenant God made with Abraham that we read thought to be related to the Kenites. They inhabited uh, part of Arabia, probably in the area of Syria. The meaning of the name is uh, possessiveness or covetousness. 
And what, what this stronghold does is it causes us to try to look more spiritual than we actually are. Portraying a facade that is more than we actually are. It keeps us from walking into the light and the plans that God has for us individually because we're trying to look like everybody else. It's, it's living in unreality. And, you know, we, we really want to be a, a church where we're, it's safe to be real. That's, that's, that's what we want to be. We, we want to be real with, with each other. And, and we, we want to be going somewhere with each other. We, we don't want to be a place where everybody has to come on Sunday and have their best face on. So when people ask how you are, you can just, oh, wonderful. Sometimes we are wonderful and we're going to be the ones praying for other people and sometimes we're not very wonderful and we need somebody praying for us. And both are okay. Because God does not promise us an easy life. That, that's not what we signed up for. It, it may have been what some of us were sold. <laughs> but... <laughs> It was bait and switch, I'm telling you. <laughs> and, and the reality is that through many trials and tribulations, we, we enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, and the truth is uh, that the Lord has all of us on, on an individual path of growth. He's, he's going to deal with something in, in my life early on that he may leave in the next person for a really long time, and, and vice versa. So we, we can't judge one another's spiritual progress by looking at a certain issue. Uh, we, we, we just need to allow God to work on us on the schedule that he has for us. Because we each ultimately are responsible for our own spiritual progress. And, you know, the, the disciplines are, are, are a great way to come into agreement with, with God's progress. You know, being in prayer regularly, being in the Word. Uh, did you like singing that song this morning? <laughs> it was better when Joy did it than when I told you it last week, wasn't it? <laughs> A lot better. <laughs> I'll take my cold, cold heart. I'll take my unrenewed mind. I'll take your word in my hand, and I'll give you time. To come and change me. And 
anyway, uh, a couple passages related to the truth. Uh, Romans 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And then James 4, 6. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Yeah, so we, we don't want to present ourselves as being something that we're not. We, we just want to be real with, with each other and with God and let him do his work. Uh, the third group, the Cadmonites, um, a very ancient tribe. Their name is a derivative of the root that means front or before. The Hebrews and other people designated directions by facing toward the um, <clears throat> the rising sun, which was before or in front of, and then south was always to the right. So the land eastward was was the land of Kedem, or the east country, probably where where the, this tribe was, and. Uh, <clears throat> The stronghold that's related to the Cadmonites is the ancient ways, representing a religious spirit where tradition is treated as highly or more highly than Scripture. The old wine is good enough. Traditions sometimes can take the place of the Word of God or make the Word of God to no effect, as, as Jesus said to the Pharisees. So what is the truth? Um, the truth is that we, we have to be flexible. <laughs> In fact, flexible may not be good enough. <laughs> so we we need to learn to be fluid to to move with what God is now doing and it's it's this spirit that has led to most of the denominations a religious spirit where God did something really good and a lot of people were affected by it. And, and so they said, we, we must always and everywhere do things just like they did here because we want this to happen again. 
and it becomes a memorial, it becomes a denomination, uh, a, a way of doing things that, man, you better not challenge, <laughs> or you better go down the street. And the thing is, most of us are uh, over the age of 40. Uh, thanks, thanks for bringing some youth here, Jojo. <laughs> but for, for those of us who are a little older, you know, we've, we've got to be intergenerational people with, with the Lord. We, we have seen what God, I saw what God did in the 70s, and, and it was good, and I was impacted by it. The Jesus people movement. Uh, <clears throat> and some people camped out there. And they stayed there. And they wanted that to happen again. Well, God is always doing a new thing. And, and we, we got to move on to the new thing that God's doing in now. And, and we have to be ready to move on to the new thing that he's going to do next year, and maybe later this year. And, and this is especially important as, as we approach the day of the Lord, because there, there is going to be an acceleration of change in, in the church and in, in the kingdom of God. And if, if we're not fluid in, in those days, uh, it, it's going to be real hard to keep up. So this this spirit, it's it's got to be uh, torn down. Uh, it's it's got to be eliminated. So we we want to embrace the new. We we don't want to hold on to tradition for tradition's sake. We want to hold on to the Lord. And a couple passages related to this. Uh, Mark 7, verse 9. He was also saying to them, You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. And that was to the Pharisees. Who did that in many areas. They, they equated the, the writings of the rabbis, the traditions of the elders, with Scripture. And they were not equal. In Luke chapter 5, 37 to 39, this is an important one. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new. For he says, the old wine is good. Or some translations say, the old wine is good enough. <laughs> Or another translation says, the old wine is better. Ooh, never say that. 
<laughs> and that doesn't that remind you of the Jesus' first miracle at, at the wedding at Cana, where everyone brings out the, the best wine first, so that after everyone has had wine, then they bring out the two-buck chuck, and, <laughs> and nobody knows the difference. <laughs> well, Jesus doesn't know how to make two-buck chuck. He made the best stuff. <clears throat> and and this, this he is speaking to us. The best wine is going to come at the end. And that's that's what we're looking forward to. So man, we we don't want to say the the old wine is good enough. <laughs> and we certainly don't want to say the old wine is better. Uh, hmm. <laughs> I think we better pray about this one. Uh, is at one time or another most of us probably were were trapped by this one. Because uh, most of us who grew up in church, we we caught a lot more than we were taught as kids, and 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 we caught that being religious was a good thing, uh, and taught to not want to see change, and. And that's just not how the kingdom of God operates. Because <laughs> he's, he's just always bringing conflict and, um, <laughs> and disruption so that he can bring change. Uh, so, yeah, let's, let's pray about this one, too. So we want to we wanna pull it out by the roots. Uh, Father in heaven, forgive us for valuing tradition more than your ways and your word. Uh, forgive us, Lord, for camping out sometimes in, in what you did in previous days. Lord, we, we break agreement with religious spirits. We remove any ground the enemy had in us related to our agreement. Lord, we want the new wine. We want what you're doing today So help me to be flexible and fluid in the days ahead to receive what you're doing and participate in it.
for the glory of your Son. Amen. Mm. That's good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's three. <clears throat> Let's see here. You want to do one more? Okay, let's do one more. This is the Hittites, and uh, now we're entering into the seven that we absolutely need the Lord's help to overcome. The Hittites are, are a pretty famous... <clears throat> Mesopotamian culture. Uh, interestingly, um, in the early part of the 20th century, a lot of people looked at the references to the Hittites as, as being evidence that the Bible was not real and not true. And then I think it was in about the 1920s or the 1930s they discovered all of this stuff about the Hittite culture. <laughs> and, and it all was consistent with what is in the Bible. <laughs> so it, instead of this culture uh, bringing into question, it has very much confirmed the reality of, of what's written in, in the Word of God. So they, they established a large empire in Asia Minor, they developed new techniques for using iron around 1500 BC. Up until that time, weapons were generally made from bronze. And uh, the use of iron weapons remained unique to the Hittites uh, and helped create successful military campaigns for them. Uh, iron weapons were popular popularized by the Hittites uh, and until uh, imperial times. Uh, another reason the Hittites were successful in battle was their use of light chariots. Uh, they used small chariots with two horses, and they were fast and agile and were able to cover ground really fast on the very simple paths that they had at that time. So... <clears throat> What the meaning of their name references is terror or fear. And what this relates to for us is fear of failure. You, uh, you didn't want to go against the Hittites because of what had happened to all their previous enemies. <laughs> So you, you just, <laughs> you didn't even want to think about it. And this translating over into the spiritual side, if, if we have a fear of failure, fear of failing God, it, it can lead us to spiritual paralysis where we just don't do anything. Pardon me? I'm I'm going to get to a couple truths 
uh, in Philippians and First John in a minute. <laughs> but I'm I'm still just talking about the Hittites. Um, so what this spirit tends to do is bring into question our spiritual capabilities, seeing ourselves as not spiritual enough for God to use. And, you know, I, I just, I, I want to speak something over all of you prophetically right now. I've, I've had this word for a, a couple specific people in, in the body in the past. I've received this word myself. There are no boundaries for you. There are no boundaries for you spiritually other than the ones you choose to live within. You, you may go as far in the kingdom of God as you choose to let the Holy Spirit take you. Yes, that, that is the truth. And, and God has chosen each of us to go and bear fruit. And just, just let me share a little something that the Lord shared with me this week. Because I, I, was, I was asking him, you know, we've, we've been through a, a period of I guess I would call somewhat severe pruning <laughs> as a vineyard. <laughs> and so I was asking the Lord, is it is it about time for bearing fruit? Because <laughs> that's why you uh, prune uh, a vine is so that it will become more fruitful. And that, that is the promise of, of Jesus in John chapter 15. And the Lord told me to look at the um, life cycle of the vine. And he, he said that the work that he's mostly doing right now is our root systems. <laughs> so let him work on your roots. Let him take them deeper. That's, that's what he's doing now. So I, I looked at the life cycle of, of the grapevine. <laughs> and, and we're in, in the winter, they call that stage uh, dormancy. <laughs> when it looks like nothing's happening. <laughs> But below the frost line, <laughs> there's still stuff happening. The roots are still growing. Things are dormant up above because it's not good for the plant to grow, <laughs> to do anything above ground when it's freezing outside. But th this is very interesting. And, and receive this. 
okay? Because <laughs> guys are so funny. The next season <laughs> is weeping. That's <laughs> that's the first movement toward bearing fruit. <laughs> this is weeping. So that's where we're going next. Does that mean travail? Probably. Because <laughs> if we're truly going to bear fruit, through Christ in us, then we, we've we got to get to the place where we can say, like Jesus did, I, I can do nothing but what the Father is doing. I, I will do nothing. It's not, I will do hardly anything, <laughs> which is probably realistically where most of us are. <laughs> you know, God, I, I, I can help you along a little bit here. Because <laughs> we, we want it to look like something's happening. Hmm. But no, that's the reality of true fruitfulness. And, and that's, that's what we got to somehow grab a hold of. The reality of true fruitfulness is is abiding such that we have the revelation that we can do nothing but what the Father is doing. So we, we've got to have his heart, which will result in weeping. <laughs> and and that that will lead us somewhere. So, receive that. Because where, where are we going? Weeping. <laughs> they call it that because that's when the, the sap unfreezes and, and it begins to, to flow into the branches and it, it actually comes out as little droplets. And that's why they call it weeping. Ah. <laughs> so back to the Hittites. <clears throat> uh, we, we don't need to be afraid that we can't do anything Spiritually, we need to realize that we can do nothing spiritually <laughs> except what the Father's doing. And, and then, when, when we get connected to his heart and, 
and we we can actually begin to see what he is doing then true fruitfulness will will begin to come forth so know that god has chosen you to go and bear fruit but it's not of your own doing it's it's out of abiding and and learning the heart of the father and and getting connected so remember you don't have your own relationship with the father you've entered into Jesus relationship with him that's that's way better <laughs> cuz we we would never have that good of a relationship with with the father individually yeah read john 15 through 17 ah so a couple verses related to overcoming the potential paralysis of fear of failure in philippians 4:13 Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And 1 John 4, 18 and 19, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Uh, I just love Misty Edwards' transparency in that song. You know, I, I can't even worship you unless you touch my heart. I, I can't love you unless you love me first. I come fan the flame. Ah, so maybe we should pray about that one too. Hmm. Father in heaven, I, I ask you to kill fear of failure in me. The reality is that you've done it. It died with Jesus on the cross. So let me live in the beautiful reality of what Jesus said. I can do nothing but what I see the Father doing. So, Father, let me see what you're doing. And I will join you. Remove any ground the enemy had related to my agreement with this spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.
Whew. <laughs> so you want us to pray for you now or you want to do it Wednesday? Either way. Mm -hmm. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Uh, I just invite anybody who wants to come and pray over John and Debbie. Um, so we're going to be sending them out this week. I I just uh, I thank the Lord for bringing you here for this time. Uh, you guys have been a blessing. Uh, it's been so good to have you here with us, and it's it's like uh, hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> Un until later. Until later, yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm. So go ahead and pray.